Tonight's scripture reading is from 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 7 through 11. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. In order that in everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. How do you find hope when you feel like the world is falling apart around you? Uh, W.B. Yeats, a, a poet, uh, wrote a poem right after World War I that he called The Second Coming. And, uh, he says, Turning and turning in the widening gyre, the falcon cannot hear the falconer. Things fall apart. The center cannot hold. Mere anarchy is loosed upon the world. The blood-dimmed tide is loosed and everywhere. The ceremony of innocence is drowned. The best lack all conviction while the worst are full of passionate intensity. Surely the second coming is at hand. How do we find hope in those times when we may feel like the center is not holding? I think that's the question that Peter's readers are asking. Uh, He starts off his instruction in, in this part. He's getting closer to the conclusion of his letter. And he says, the end of all things at hand. The end of all things are at hand. It's, uh, you know, some of you may may feel that way tonight. You may just feel like, I, I'm, at, I'm at the end. I don't, I, don't, I don't really have much of a hope beyond, beyond this. And some of you may not feel that way at all. You may have got a lot of good things going on, but you may be aware of uh, just kind of a general sense in our culture that maybe something's ending or winding down or deeply broken, and you're wondering... How do I find hope in a, in a time like this? Well, as we've gone through First Peter, I really think the whole theme of the book is hope. Chapter 1, verse 3, uh, Peter praises God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And one way we can understand this whole uh, book is he's writing readers that are discouraged and he wants to encourage them by giving them hope and helping them rekindle hope. And and in this verse, or this section, he, he gives four very practical things that we can do to restore our hope. And the first thing we can do is pray. Verse 7, Therefore be self-controlled and sober-minded For the sake of your prayers. Be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. He doesn't say prayer. He says 
prayers because he's, he's thinking about that ancient Christian practice of, of praying several times a day, uh, morning, noon, and at night. You see it in Acts 2. They would go to the temple. They would do this corporately, and they would do this individually. You see it in the Psalms. Morning and evening do I praise you. This was one of the foundations of, of their spirituality, was praying morning, evening, morning, evening. And I think what he's saying is, you know, as you're, as you're hearing the reports of persecution, and you're hearing things that are happening in Rome, and you're, you're, you're sitting at the bakery and you're talking to a brother or sister about a persecution that's broken out to the north. And you've heard that somebody you love has been taken away in the middle of the night. Instead of just focusing on that and telling the story again and again and again, take control of your mind and make sure you go back and pray. Do your prayers. I think that is so important for us in times of of great anxiety. It's so easy to get so swept up in all of the stories and pressures and problems that we forget about prayer. And I know it can be daunting to think of praying three times a day. That may bring out uh, memories of big fat prayer books or, or long hours of prayer, going to long prayer meetings. Maybe we can't do that three times a day. But I think one thing that we could do is step aside at lunch, step aside before dinner, step aside at the end of the night, and maybe just take three minutes and just breathe in the name of Jesus and breathe it out again. Breathe in the name of Jesus and breathe it out again. You know, we might call that contemplative prayer, meditative prayer, centering prayer. Call it whatever you want. It's an ancient practice. And it really can bring a measure of peace and stability to our days. And actually, uh, they're, they're studying this now. They're researching the brain chemistry. It's called the science of mindfulness. And they're looking at it. And they're, they've gone into monasteries and watched what happens to nuns when they contemplate. They've tested it in other places. And they find that you actually your brain chemistry settles down when you stop and breathe in and breathe out. You know what else they found in studies about people who struggle with sleep? The very worst thing you can do before you go to bed is check your phone. Worst thing you can do before you go to bed is check your phone. I, I, I feel like a grandpa here. I'm just going to say it again. I'm not against social media. My daughter knows how to get on it. And, uh, <laughs> and so that's how I remember your birthdays. But it's, it's not a bad... I understand there's, there's good things that can happen. But beloved, if you don't have time to stop three times a day and breathe in Jesus... How many times a day are you looking at your phone? I'm not going to be a Luddite and, you know, and say damn the whole thing, but can we at least step back and build in a little bit of, 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 of contemplation in the middle of the day? Just to wind it down. The next thing Peter tells us to do in a anxious time is to love. He says, verse 8, above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. You may have uh, remember the story of the Chilean miners in 2010 when they were uh, trapped underground. They were down there 69 days 
I think all of them came out. They're making a movie of it now, and there's been several stories written about it. It's really fascinating. In the beginning, there was just this flurry of love and unity. They were gathering together in the dark for prayer. They were sacrificing. They were giving their food to each other. But as the days wore on, they turned against each other. And that's understandable, isn't it? When we feel tremendous pressure, when it feels like things are going against you, when your team is losing or your company's struggling, and it's so easy to turn on each other. And so Peter is talking to people who are feeling the heat, and he's saying, don't turn on each other. Love earnestly. It's a Greek word referring to an athlete in, in the heat of competition. And love covers a multitude of sins. In other words, you're going you're gonna to annoy each other. You're going to get on each other's nerves. The longer you're in community together, and this, by the way, mini advertisement, I know that there's a strand of Christianity that says you can do it without the church, you can do it without formally gathering your people. Memo to the memo, I know that can be on your back porch. Back to the second memo. I know and I understand that, but there are people today that are saying, I can do Christianity without being deeply rooted in community. And I'd say you can't. Why? Because you won't be annoyed enough to learn how to love. The reason why we gather together and stick together is because God knows we'll drive each other nuts and then we'll love. That's why we got to do community together. You know, I want to say this as gently as I can, but brothers and sisters, I I think we're too easily offended. And I'm, I'm talking about myself, too. It it just seems like we get offended about everything. <laughs> Love covers a multitude of sins. They're just it's, it's, if it's going to get tough out there, we've got to get to a point we can just let stuff go. Sandy and I realized we were taking life too seriously, so we started swing dance lessons. Okay, rock step. So it's Laurel Theater. Wednesday night, 7 o'clock or 7.30, three bucks. It's in our price range. And Sandy's a very gifted dancer. And then there's me. And, and so we're trying to practice. And I got my feelings hurt. <laughs> I really did. <laughs> And then I just heard the Lord say, my goodness, son. She's just trying to teach you how to do a rock step. Grow grow up. We just get a little offended a little too easily. Love covers a multitude of sins. And I do think our hope is related to that. You know, if, if I just kind of sink into my bitterness, I move towards despair. But if I stay in community, if I keep walking with you, if we keep working on it, I feel hopeful. And by the way, if uh, one of the places where we really can struggle with stress and it can affect our relationship is marriage. And uh, there's going to be a great opportunity to get some training there. November 4th, there's a day-long seminary at First Pres. You're going to hear more about it on the, on the weekly uh, newsletter. Uh, there's financial aid if you can't afford it, but it's just, even if you're in a good place in marriage, it's it's a great opportunity to uh, love earnestly. 
The, last, the third thing he says is eat. Show hospitality to others without grumbling. You know, one of the very best things you can do when you are discouraged, when you feel stressed out, when everything seems like it's falling apart around you, the very best thing that you can do, have somebody over for dinner. Yeah, that movie Gods and Men we showed a few lints ago, it's a, it's a wonderful story, just a wonderful story of a monastery in Algeria that was essentially uh, about to be wiped out by, uh, by terrorists. And there's a scene, I'll never forget it, where uh, there's a helicopter with a full gunnery flying over the monastery, and you look down inside, and the brothers are all eating together. And they never stopped eating and praying, eating and praying, even unto martyrdom. It's so easy to turn inward when you're under stress, isn't it? It's just so easy, metaphorically or even literally, to just build a bunker. I'm scared to death. I'm going into my basement, and I'm not coming out. I'm going to put enough food in there to stay forever, and I'm going to keep you out. That's the road to bad stuff. Hospitality, opening the table, is a way out. I was with a couple guys this week, and somebody had passed around Peggy Noonan's editorial in the Wall Street Journal about the culture of despair. She writes on Saturday mornings. And she, did she was explaining why she thought people were buying so many guns. And she said, it's because people are afraid. She said they've read Cormac McCarthy's novel, The Road, and they think that America might end that way, and they're Americans, and they're not going to go down without a fight. Now, this is not a sermon on gun control. It is a sermon about finding hope when you feel like the world is falling apart. H- how do you find hope when you feel like things might end up like the road? A good friend of mine is uh, Dennis McCarthy. He's Cormac's brother. And a couple of years ago when I was going out to the monastery for a retreat, um, I, I stayed at Dennis's house, which is on Cormac's. Uh, property. And he said, one of the things that you, you might see, and don't go out and uh, talk to him about it, because he doesn't want to talk to anybody, is uh, my brother has taken in the waitress from the restaurant in Santa Fe, or eats every night, because her husband beat her, and he had mercy on her, and so he is paying for all her expenses and putting her up as she gets her feet back on the ground. Now, I've read a lot of Cormac McCarthy. None of it leads me to think that he would have compassion for another human being. If he is struggling with faith, Sunset Limited is a play in which he kind of flushes all of that out. He has an apocalyptic view of the end. He's, he's grasping onto hope. And you're not going to hear him speak at the National Prayer Breakfast. I don't know where he is spiritually, but I know this the man who probably has written more apocalyptically about the world than anyone else practices hospitality as a way to find hope. You know, it's just so easy to sit here tonight and go, nobody messed me over. And feel slighted and overlooked and sad about how bad everybody treats you and Well, here's the dirty little secret, and you know it. 
Everybody's lonely. <laughs> That's true. Everybody's lonely and everybody thinks everybody else is having the big party. We're all lonely. We are all lonely. We all wish we were asked over more. The best thing you can do is practice hospitality. Press in. Welcome the stranger. Well, the last thing that we can do, Peter says, is serve. And yes, I stole part of the title from Eat, Pray, Love, but it's in the Bible. So, Okay. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To Him belong glory and dominion forever and forever. Amen. So much in this little verse, but the big idea is we're all stewards or managers. God's entrusted to us. Everybody has a gift. Everybody has a gift. He breaks them down into speaking gifts and serving gifts. There's a lot of ways that you can break them down. Let's look at the speaking gifts first. It's a broad Greek word. It has all the different ways of speaking. Prophecy, teaching, evangelism, tongues, all of that stuff. And he says that when we use it, we use it as an oracle of God. That it's a revelation of God. It's a word of the Lord brought to the congregation the speaker is not conscious that the, or is conscious that the Holy Spirit is moving through him to share a word with somebody else. And I just want to encourage you: if those are some of your gifts, use them to build us up. First Corinthians fourteen three: the gift of prophecy is to encourage, to edify, to upbuild. If those are some of your gifts, use those to build us up. By the way, that's why you can't isolate. By the way, that's why you can't withdraw. Is because you're a steward of a gift. The purpose of the gift is to build other people up. If you're in your basement, bunkered down with your beans, you can't build anybody up. So get over it. Get out. Look past your navel. That's how you avoid despair. And then he talks about ministering or serving he says that we do it in God's strength. We do it for God's glory. I think he knows human nature. There's a story that the, a rabbi was asked, uh, Rabbi, can you, can you tell me the difference between heaven and hell? And he, and he told this story. One day a man said to God, God, I would like to know what heaven and hell are like. And God showed the man two doors. Inside the first one, in the middle of the room, was a large round table with a large pot of stew. It smelled delicious and made the man's mouth water, but the people sitting around the table were thin and sickly. They appeared to be famished. They were holding spoons with very long handles, and each found it possible to reach into the pot of stew and take a spoonful, but because the handle was longer than their arms, they could not get the spoons back into their mouths. The man shuddered at the sight of their misery and suffering, and God said, you've seen hell. Behind the second door, the room appeared exactly the same. There was the large round table with the large pot of wonderful stew that made the man's mouth water. The people had the same long-handled spoons, but they were all well-nourished and plump, laughing and talking. 
The man said, I don't understand. And God smiled. It is simple, he said. Love only requires one skill. These people learned early on to share and feed one another, while the greedy only think of themselves. I think that's what he's trying to say, actually throughout this whole letter, right? Because everything he says is about reaching out. You isolate, you feel sorry for yourself, you cut yourself off, you focus on your own pity, you lose hope. You turn outward, you give, you serve, you focus on the needs of others, you find hope. It's a very simple biblical principle. So how do we renew our hope when we fear the sinner will not hold? We eat, we pray, we love, we serve. Let's pray. Thank you.